It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. It is the Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Uh, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah's in an extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. Joining us now, of course, our friend Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Hey, just wrapping up a really an exciting NBA Finals. I thought, uh, what do you think about it as a whole and the Bucks coming out as champs? I mean, it's it's all the NBA could have could have asked for, save for a potential Game Seven. You had you know highly competitive games, uh, two stars in Devin Booker and Giannis, young stars uh, playing like them. Uh, Chris Paul trying to get his first championship. You know, a lot of people will be fixated on the ratings, which I know are down from two years ago. But you know, I've often said to, to you guys as well that the NBA really seeks this form of parity where you have the Milwaukee's and the Phoenixes in the finals. They they crave NFL style parity. So even if they take a ratings hit in the short term, they'll take it because while you know the the super teams like Golden State or Cleveland even, and certainly Miami from back in the day, drive ratings in the finals. It it sucks some of the energy out of conference playoffs when it's widely viewed that only one team uh, has a chance. So, you know, the NBA, whatever the numbers may be, uh, I can tell you they're happy with this outcome. What impressed you the most about what you saw out of the Bucks, uh, Chris? Because I got my own ideas. I thought their approach to the games were – I sensed maturity – from the way they were playing and the way they were going about their business as opposed to the Suns who seem to be complaining to the referees a lot. What would you make of the overall mental side of what you were seeing? Well, I agree. And it's not entirely unexpected. I mean, Milwaukee has been through the fires in the last five years. They've had first-round exits. They've had second-round exits. A couple of years back, they advanced to a conference finals and lost. I mean – you know, very rarely do you see teams have ultimate success the first time they are involved in something like this, this being a deep playoff run. There's just a lot of things you have to learn on the fly. I mean, I go back to conversations I had with members of Oklahoma City back in 2010, and and they often talk about that year being a learning experience when they were beat by the Lakers in the first round and just learning how to play championship basketball in the playoffs you just have to take your lumps along the way and milwaukee was able to adjust because they've made deep playoff runs before phoenix it's their first time in the playoffs in a decade while chris paul's made a lot of deep playoff runs devin booker hasn't deandre ayton who i thought looked really out of sorts in the finals he hasn't um you know it's just there's, there's certain things you just can't teach and milwaukee had learned them some of those lessons up until this point and phoenix uh walks away from this with lessons of their own so if Phoenix is fortunate enough to get back next year, I think they'll be a much better equipped team. You know, this it happened in the Jazz where they lost four consecutive games, and <clears throat> we've talked a lot on this show, and we've asked you about it, Chris, what uh, the Jazz did or did not do adjustment-wise uh, to, you know, give up four in a row. Let, uh, I'd ask you the same thing about Phoenix. What, what happened? What adjustment did Milwaukee make, and what did Phoenix 
do or do not do uh, correctly or incorrectly to not or to react to it? <laughs> well, I think the biggest adjustment Milwaukee made was how they deployed Drew Holiday. Um, you know, whether it was the pressure that he put on Chris Paul, who I have the feeling we'll be hearing about something somewhat significant with Chris Paul injury-wise that, that he's been dealing with. Um, you know, for the last uh, week or so, you know, at least last couple of weeks, I guess, of this series. I just get a feeling from, you know, watching him that that's, that could be coming. Uh, so Drew Holiday being a defensive menace on Paul, the way he played defensively on Devin Booker in spurts, he really was an impact player. So no matter how poorly he shot, like he did in game six, his defense was just invaluable. And I think another variable in this series was the loss of Dario Saric early on. I mean, you know, DeAndre Ayton had to play 45 minutes in Game 5. Game 3 had to play 39 minutes. I mean, this is a guy that was used to playing in the mid-30s for most of, of these playoffs. And you might scoff and say, well, he's 22, whatever he is, years old, 23. Uh, he should be able to go big minutes. But in a final situation, when you're having to guard Giannis Tendekumpo, you know, five minutes could, mean, could be the difference between being fresh in the fourth quarter and not. So I think Sarr's going down. And for most of the series anyway, Monty Williams is having no faith in Frank Kaminsky. We saw him go to Kaminsky in game six, but that was by necessity with the foul trouble uh, to Aiden. Um, yeah, I think that really hurt DeAndre Aiden's ability to close games. A lot of people watching from here, Chris, uh, were could relate to what the Bucks were achieving. Uh, smaller market team, uh, cold weather spot, uh, not necessarily a destination in the NBA. And yet Giannis said he wanted to be there. He, he didn't want to go join a super team. That resonated with Jazz fans, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, it should, you know, because it's great for small markets to have your stars commit to them. And we should remember that, you know, even though Damian Lillard's going through what he is going through with Portland right now, you know, five years ago when he was Giannis's age, he was all in on the Portland Trailblazers uh, as well. So, you know, th- these instances happen where guys like Giannis and, 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 and Lillard and, you know, Donovan Mitchell now with, with Utah, they, they want to commit and they want to try to win there. And that's, that's great for the NBA. I mean, look, there's no asterisks on championships, but not all championships are created equal. And I think Dirk Nowitzki would probably tell you that the one he won in Dallas uh, is a lot more valuable than maybe two or three could have won if he had decided to go somewhere else. And I think if this is the only championship Giannis wins, and you know, there's certainly a lot of potential to win multiple in the future, but if this, this is the only championship Giannis wins, uh, it, it's, I think it's going to stand as a lot more significant than one he could win by going to Miami or Toronto or L.A. or somebody else that might have recruited him next summer. Where is Chris Paul playing next year, Chris? What do you think? Well, as long as the Suns' ownership group doesn't screw it up, um, I think he'll be in Phoenix. You know, Chris Paul, you have to remember, you know, this wasn't like Oklahoma City just trading Chris Paul when they did a year ago. This was a partnership. They, they, you know, Sam Presti, who does this a lot with veteran players, they worked hand-in-hand on Chris Paul's destination. And, you know, Chris wanted to be in Phoenix. He wanted to play for Monty Williams, who has history with going back to New Orleans. He wanted to play with Devin Booker, who he saw as being the star that really evolved this year. He liked the young talent headlined by DeAndre Ayton. He liked the proximity to Los Angeles, where he still keeps a home, where his family still lives. So I I don't get the sense Chris Paul wants to go anywhere, and why would he? I mean, like the Knicks are always going to be lurking out there as a possibility, but 
are you championship level with New York next season? Probably not. Um, so there's that. I just think he's got a good situation in Phoenix. And as long as there isn't a nickel and diming situation done by Suns ownership, um, I, I think something will get worked out to keep Chris Paul in Phoenix on some kind of three-year deal. You've seen a lot of basketball through the years in the finals, Chris. Uh uh, does uh, what you saw out of uh, Giannis in uh, this particular clincher stand out to you as being particularly memorable? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's tough to put it on a list of, of what I've seen in the last 20 years. Honestly, like one of the great finals performances I ever saw was the series that the, the, the Cavaliers lost. I want to say it was 2017. That was Durant's first year with Golden State. And they lost in five games. But that was like the most competitive five-game series I've ever seen. And if not for incredible heroics by Durant in that series, you guys remember that, like the Cavs would have won. And they were doing it without, I think, was it without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, without both those guys in that series. And you know, or, or maybe Kyrie was hurt. He was banged. I don't know. Something was going on there. But it was LeBron just controlling the series from start to finish and. I just remember walking away from that being like, they lost, but that was the best finals performance I've ever seen because of how good LeBron was with a team that was dramatically outgunned in that series by a bona fide super team in Golden State. What Giannis did, he was right up there on the Mount Rushmore of great finals performances that I've seen, capped off by you know making 17 free throws in your, your, your last game was, was remarkable. But uh, it's just hard to, to pick the one that's the best. So, Chris, this season, in my mind, for me, and I host the Jazz uh, pre-half and post on, on our radio broadcast, so I'm here in this building for every single game. I mean, it will be very memorable going back to the preseason when this building was one of the few that actually allowed in, what, you know, hundreds of fans and then slowly turning on the faucet to having a full building by the time the playoffs rolled around. I mean, it's going to be very memorable, and I think the NBA deserves a lot of credit for, for navigating this season and getting in as many games and getting to a champion. But when they write the story about this season, Chris, uh, you know, how will it be remembered or what what will the story be? Well, I mean, it will it will be COVID for sure. And how that impacted the season. If you want to criticize anything the NBA did, it's not going into a bubble for the first half of the season, which I think they should have done still even looking back. I mean, you you probably would have resolved a lot of issues in the pre-vaccination months by going into a bubble in the short term and then coming out and coming back into buildings as they were starting to allow fans uh, to enter them. But, you know, how they progressed, you know, with this season, how they navigated a lot of these minefields, eventually getting fans back in the building, kind of apexing with what we saw in Milwaukee with some 60,000 fans outside of the forum, 17,000 strong uh, inside. I mean, it, it really was just a great moment for the NBA to have, a Milwaukee team that had won a championship in 50 years. Giannis, yeah, I don't know if he's the face of the NBA now. That's what a lot of people are branding him, but he's certainly uh, elevated his status as one of the all-time greats, winning a championship uh, there. It's, it, was, it was a happy ending, let's just say this, uh, for the NBA. And that's not something you could be sure of as this season started to roll along in January and February. The Bucks went through their difficult times getting to where they ended up last night. They added Drew Holiday, obviously. When you look at the Jazz and their situation, and we talked earlier about the comparisons, but if you're the Jazz, Chris, do you have to just tweak this thing, or do you have to look for some sort of major deal to make? No, I, I think tweaking is enough. 
Um, and, and that, you know, I don't consider re-signing Mike Conley tweaking. That's fundamental to what the Jazz have to do. I mean, he has to come back or else this thing, this thing is going to take a massive step back. We've discussed that. But, you know, tweaking can mean, you know, using draft picks to acquire more bench help. Um, there's really not a lot of, of glaring weaknesses to this Jazz team. I mean, we saw last year Mitchell can be the guy to take over games in the fourth quarter. Rudy Gobert is still a dominant center. I don't, I don't look at that, you know, the Clippers are a bad matchup for Gobert. That's something they have to fix moving forward if they do want to face the Clippers down the line. But, you know, Gobert against a lot of teams, as we saw with DeAndre Ayton and look at Brooke Lopez in, in, uh, in, in Milwaukee, like, you know, big men still have a, a strong place on really good teams. I just think you, you just need to nibble around the fringes a little bit if you're the Jazz and find guys that can, you know, more perimeter shooters, especially if you're going to be this 35-plus attempt three-point uh, team uh, every year, uh, more depth at key positions, and, and roll with it. I mean, last this season was disappointing the way it ended for Utah, but it, it doesn't say this team is fundamentally flawed. It says they just need to make some minor moves and 100% make sure you bring back Mike Conley. Chris, uh, thank you for coming on, uh, not only today, of course, but uh, throughout the entire season. We're, we're so lucky to have you as a, a voice once a week on this show and talking NBA with our listeners. So uh, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a break for the off season, but uh, just want you to know uh, we appreciate everything you do for us and really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Chris. Happy to do it, guys, always. All right. Thanks, Chris. That's our friend Chris Mannix, a senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. And I suppose we'll give Chris some time off. I mean, if he has to have it. I told him know. 10 days. So. <laughs> okay. Well, 10 might be put. Let me dial that back to a week. Maybe. Well, summer <laughs> league's in 21. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Less than that, yeah. Uh, but we are. We're, we're really lucky with our daily assist guests. I mean, they're, they're so Every good. Every one of them. And, and, Every uh, one of them. Chris is is terrific, and and we are lucky to to have him on the show. So. I thought that was really interesting what he said at the end there about the Jazz. I mean, I know it was disappointing the way it all ended, but I agree with him. I don't think the Jazz are that far off. Got to resign Conley. He's right about that. Indeed. More next ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone.